You're now listening to Carolina Conservative. Jesse Berger is with me today. Jesse is the Harnett County Republican chairperson. Jesse, welcome to Carolina Conservative. Matt, appreciate you having me on. All right. Thank you very much for being on. So we'll jump right in. Uh, Jesse, just uh, first off, tell us a little bit about you, your background, and, and what led you to becoming the Harnett County GOP chairperson. Sure. Well, uh, I'll give the Reader's Digest version, but really short. I was born in Besiktas, Istanbul, in Turkey, um, to missionary parents. And I, uh, I spent the first half of my life traveling around um, all across Turkey, uh, moved into northern Iraq uh, for a little while, traveled all across Europe, and moved to the States when I was about 12 years old. Uh -huh. uh, one of the things that was uh, a pretty big moment in my life as a child was living in northern Iraq. We lived in a village called Dohuk. And they had uh, Saddam Hussein had planted minefields uh, or mines rather in the soccer fields that all of the kids would play. And I remember going uh, with my dad. He was a prosthesis orthotist, so he made fake uh, fake legs and uh, arms and braces and stuff for people. Uh, and I remember going with him to a clinic and seeing kids my age with limbs blown off. And um, I didn't use the language I would use now, but my thought process back then was I can either become a healer like my father or I can go kill the bastards that are planting the mines in the first place. And uh, I, I chose the latter route. So um, moved to the States about 13 years old, um, graduated high school at 17 uh, from Connecticut, joined the Navy, tried out to be a Navy SEAL twice, um, ended up joining the Army after four years and uh, served with the 82nd Infantry Airborne, deployed overseas to Afghanistan and Helmand Province. And then uh, after I got back, I transferred over to PSYOP. And uh, on my second deployment, Ended up getting medically discharged after being around the fire pits or the burn pits. So my lungs just kind of kind of took a dip there. And uh, once once that decision came down that I was going to get medically retired, my wife and I had a conversation and we said, you know, we want to we want to have a family together and and do this together. So mm -hmm. um, there wasn't a point in going contracting. I'd be the same as being deployed, you know, and, and being active. Right. So we started our own uh, real estate firm. Um, I ended up starting a construction company. We were a month away from bankruptcy at one point and um, I started training dogs in my neighborhood. I started pressure washing, cleaning gutters and um, was teaching myself how to do software and coding the whole time. Um, and then the way I became chair is my wife and I were sitting uh, in my living room and we watched Biden win the election. And she looks at me and she goes, what are you gonna do? Mm -hmm. So um, I got online looked up Harnett County Republican Party, found their website, um, messaged the previous chairwoman, Maggie Sandrock, and was just like, hey, look, I'm prior military. I was in PSYOP. I own a tech company. I do a lot of different things. I'm here to help. What do you need me to do? And um, one thing led to another, and they said, hey, we want you to be the county chair. I had no previous experience with politics at all, uh, none whatsoever. So this has been like drinking from a fire hydrant. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, we had a county convention. And on the drive to county convention, uh, one of the guys calls me up and he goes, hey, are you nervous about the election? <laughs> and my own naivety, I was like, what election? What are you talking about? And he goes, your election. They're going to vote to you know, make you the chairman. And I looked at my wife. I was like, Nicola, nobody knows me. Um, where do you want to go to lunch after this? Like, you know, um, but we ended up doing a quick little debate, about 15 minutes up at the convention floor with, uh, with my opponent, who's now our, our vice chair. And um, 
you know, people voted and, and here I am. So year and a half later and still kicking. So you jumped right in. So yeah, that, that was kind of my story as well, as far as getting involved. It was, it was the election. Um, you know, I've, I've always been involved, follow politics, all that, you know, voted since I could vote, but that election definitely turned something in me, you know, that I, I, I got to get involved. And uh, so I, I kind of feel the same way. Something's got to happen based on what we saw in 2020. Um, so talking about 2020 and probably part of what, uh, kind of nudged you to get involved is, is the, um, the election integrity issues that we saw in 2020. So things didn't look right. They didn't smell right. They, they didn't feel right. So as far as North Carolina goes, and I know you've been working on this a lot, has anything changed to make our elections more secure and, and where, where do we go from here with election integrity? Well, I think that election integrity is something that um, it's it's become a broad stroke word that encompasses mm -hmm. a very uh, detailed and complex conversation. Um, you're right. That was one of the primary things for why I joined. And, you know, from from my perspective, um, and I think most people that have lived in North Carolina, they've seen a, a, a tornado come through. Um, you don't need to see the tornado you can go past an area and be like, oh, something happened here, right? right. And uh, um, so for me, the, the journey down election integrity and trying to figure out how to solve that problem kind of started with, I can see that something's not right, but no one seems to be able to put their finger on it. And what I can say is that singularly the biggest issue is that we don't know what ground zero is. And what I mean by that is elections should be pretty simple. You have this many people that can vote that are registered, and this is how many people voted. It should be that easy. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, we have outdated systems. We have um, counties that don't cooperate amongst each other. Not, and I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing, but as an example, uh, if I were to move from Harnett County to Lee County and I were to die in Lee County and my family didn't actually contact Harnett County to let them know, take me off the registration list, my name's still going to be on there. And it mm -hmm. might take years before that is corrected. Um, another issue with election integrity, now this isn't the actual election uh, integrity book, but um, the actual law book is roughly this thick, right? And it's, I mean, you're talking same type of thing here, single space, both sides of the page. And our poll workers that are in charge of actually running the elections and our poll or our, our chief judges and judges that are in charge of running the elections are getting four to six hours of training. Mm -hmm. So when I look at the issues, I'm looking at how do we figure out what ground zero is and how do we start fixing these problems? And, and the areas that I'm, I'm very proud of, of in terms of things that I've been involved in and things that I'm seeing in the state is that the North Carolina election integrity team, otherwise known as insight, has been all over this like white on rice. And my favorite part about it is that we're a bunch of nonpartisans essentially that, that are working together. Yes, a lot of us are county chairs in the Republican party, but what we all care about more than anything else is this country. And a lot of the guys that are in Insight are veterans and all of us have the same mindset, which is I didn't wear the uniform for the Republican party. And I didn't wear the uniform for the Democratic party. I wore the uniform for America. And I'm going to put America first, not my team, 
not my party, not my candidate, America, first and foremost, always and forever. So um, insight, I'm, I'm very pleased with the stuff that we've been doing. One of the biggest issues was um, the Board of Elections, State Board of Elections trying to do temporary rulemaking. And it was um, uh, insight that was very, very vehemently working against that. And we were able to get the, um, uh, what was it, the Rules Commission, I believe. That Rules Commission. You are not allowed to do this because you don't have the pretext off of which to make these changes in the first place. Um, and I can I can say Jim Womack was um, probably one of the leading forces. Uh, he was also the president of Insight um, in, in working with a lot of the different senators and stuff. Another issue that we're working on right now is ERIC. Um, ERIC is a acronym that stands for uh, uh, what is it? Election Registration Information Center, I believe. Um, now, ERIC proposes itself to be um, helping with voter rolls. OK, that's what they're claiming to do. However, if you look at historically, every single state has signed an agreement with Eric. The only thing that's happened is they they've added hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people to their voter rolls. So Eric's purpose is actually to find what is called an EBU, eligible but unregistered voter. That is Eric's primary purpose. And by contract with the state, when the state signs up with them, when they identify these EBUs, the state is required by contract to reach out to all of these people to try and generate more voters. So House Bill 103 is where the provision was put in there to use HAVA funds in order to pay for ERIC. And what we've been working on with a lot of the different senators and, and House members is trying to convince them to remove a lot of the stipulations, a lot of the teeth that are in that um and that provision uh, and in the contract specifically, we want to prevent DMV data from going out because DMV data is something that we don't even have the ability to access as North Carolina residents. So the fact that it's being sold to um, Eric and they're getting paid money to then identify EBUs, um, which then the state is mandated to go contact. This is a recipe for disaster. Um, and oh, by the way, it gets worse because Eric the same gentleman that created Eric, his name escapes my mind right now, but he also created a new 501c3 called SEER. And SEER's job, C-E-I-R, their job is to, they, um, they identify the EBUs and then they're going to actually go in and start um, getting these people uh, in touch with their, their Democratic left-leaning uh, folks to get them to register Democrat and end up voting left. So this is a really big issue and we are, really setting ourselves up for failure. So my um, hope is that we'll have some legislators that hear this and, you know, get a hold of us at Insight. You know, the, that's that's what we're here for. We're citizens that are trying to make this better. And um, we believe in a educate the people and then let them deal with the issue type of approach. So it's not a top down type thing. All of the um, the groups that we're working with, they start at the county level. And, uh, and then what I've done specifically with Insight is I built what we call the um, uh, statewide election integrity reporting system, otherwise known as SEERS. And that system is designed so that we can input data um, during elections. We can track all of the election integrity issues going on. Um, the person that uh, submits that report is going to be able to have access to it 24-7. They can print it out themselves. They can follow up on it. They can follow it through to conclusion. They don't need to wait on a county war room or a state war room to be like, oh, we'll go ahead and look at this for you. We provide you with resources. We provide you with training. We provide you with everything that we possibly can to say, look, you have to take ownership of this issue. Mm -hmm. It's a we the people issue. 
And I believe our founding fathers made it pretty clear that in order for this experiment to work, this experiment of, of the United States of America, it was the obligation of our elected officials to educate the people. Thomas Jefferson said, if we do not educate the people, we ourselves will become the wolves. So I take issue when I hear a lot of elected officials that want to use a top-down approach where they're saying, no, these are too complex of an issue for you to understand, so you need to trust me. Well, no, I don't trust you. Our country's in this position because everyone's been trusting someone else. So it's time that we, the people, rise up and say, you know what? This is our country. These are our rights. We are loaning them some of those rights to you in order to do something good for us, and we're not happy with it. So it's going to change. Yeah, yeah. If, if the past two years have taught us anything, it's we need ownership. We can't just trust, trust the experts, trust the elected official. You've got to take ownership of uh, what's going on. And, and you mentioned it, and uh, I do want to bring it up. Um, let's see, the, the governor was mad today on Twitter, and uh, he said Republican leaders overturning a unanimous bipartisan vote by the elections board undermines our democracy and enables belligerent liars and conspiracy theorists to disrupt voting at polling places and interfere with the election and excusable. Uh, he's acting like, yeah, we've, um, he, he's saying that we're, you know, a threat to democracy. Yet it, all it was, was a appointed board overturned the, the ruling of another appointed board. There was no elective official involved at all in this decision. So yeah, um, yeah, he was, he was a little upset on Twitter today. Well, uh, to provide a little bit of background context to that as well, you know, when, when um, the State Board of Elections started putting out that they were gonna do this temporary, uh, temporary rules change, um, a bunch of us submitted public comments and um, in my comment, my statement was, you know, you, you're making the excuse that we have to make this change because we don't have time in order to do things the way that they were uh, supposed to be done. Well, my argument is right there, that is grounds for termination. You have failed to be able to do your job. You don't right. need to change the rules because you suck. I'm sorry, but someone needs to tell you, you suck. Mm -hmm. Get out. You're gone. You can't just change the rules because you can't meet the standard. That's not how life works. And what what were the rules that they were wanting to change? Uh, a lot of it revolved around the poll watchers, um, mm -hmm. what they would be able to do, the level of access they'd have. Um, you know, and the biggest thing to me, there's a lot of legal jargon that gets thrown out there. And again, for me, I'm new to this. This is me drinking from a fire hydrant. I'm doing the best I can to keep up. But from everything I gather, the whole point of this is supposed to be confusion so that the chief judges essentially are allowed to have supreme reign at their polling site. And those chief judges are going to have four to six hours of training. They're not going to be able to know all of the election laws. And then they're going to start pushing out all of our poll watchers that have been mm -hmm. properly trained on the pr processes and procedures from everything of how to check that your tabulator is actually properly formatted. Does it have the correct software on it? Is everything set up the correct way when you start up that machine at the beginning of the day? I'm a big machine person. We use machines to, to handle our nuclear codes. We use machines to handle our bank accounts. And I'm willing to say that if you trust a bank with a computer system and an app on your phone, then there's a reason you should be able to trust you know, elections to machines too. The problem isn't the machines. The problem is the fact that there is no transparency. 
There mm -hmm. is zero reason why a machine that handles something that is so sacred, like our elections, should not have an open source system that can be independently validated by any citizen that so chose to go and look at the data. And, and, and to me, I think that ultimately when it comes to election integrity, the biggest thing that I think people are losing perspective of is perspective. And that perspective is, okay, you, you, you care about your job, right? And everyone usually cares about their job, at least to mm -hmm. the extent that I'm gonna become proficient enough to not get fired, right? right? <laughs> um, and to stay out of trouble. Well, we need to be looking at this as, as Americans, as patriots, our bare minimum obligation to be an American is to be engaged in the political process to ensure freedom for the next generation and to never allow someone higher up than you, regardless of how old or young you are, to say, you need to listen to me because I know best. You need to say, no, tell me the facts and I'll make up my own decision. And that's how it needs to work. Um, so anyways, um, election integrity is about fundamentally our right to have freedom and I think that that should supersede you wanting to go watch Netflix and see the next episode of Stranger Things or Game of Thrones. I think that that supersedes, especially when I'm asking you to do this or your country rather is asking you to do something like poll watching one time every two years, mm -hmm. right? For a day, for four to six hours. And it's like pulling teeth trying to get people to do this, but I'm sorry. In my mind, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Every single person in this country, I wrote a blank check to for everything up to and including my life when I put that uniform on and went overseas. And I spent Christmases and Thanksgivings eating MREs in a desert so that we could have freedom here. So, yeah, sorry, not sorry. Get your butt out and go participate in this process. Because if your freedom isn't worth four to six hours, then honestly, we deserve whatever's coming. We, we really we do. Absolutely. That's the way I feel, too. We, we get what we deserve uh, with our lack of participation. Uh, so moving on to 2022, away from 2020, um, in North Carolina, it's looking like, you know, there's a good chance that Republicans are going to get a supermajority, a veto-proof supermajority in the General Assembly. So with that being said, I've been a Republican long enough to be let down <laughs> by Republicans. So... Um, what what's going to be the priority for the NCGOP in the next two years if that happens? You know, I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure what the future of the NCGOP is. Um, I have hopes and dreams. Um, you know, I believe in, well, anyone that's read Sun Tzu's Art of War will understand that, you know, you don't get to the position that you're in overnight. It happens mm -hmm. over a period of time. Um, and I think that the majority of people, I, I would say, especially in my age range, in our age range, um, are looking around and saying, this didn't just happen. And the same people that have been up in Washington, that have been in our state for a decade, you know, two decades or longer, their decisions helped lead us to this point. And so we're going to have to start asking some serious questions. My first question to people that have been in the Republican Party for a long time is always, first and foremost, I want to know on a personal level, what did you make a mistake on? Mm -hmm. right? Because to me, 
if you are incapable of saying, I personally made a mistake by voting for this or by supporting this candidate or something like that, what it says to me is that you don't have the self-awareness to be able to recognize that you're not right all the time. And if you can't recognize that you're not always right, then I can't trust what you have to say because I'm not going to be able to decipher, you know, the good from the bad. So what I think is happening in North Carolina is there's a lot of new ideas and younger people that are starting to get involved. And we're saying, you know what, this is insanity and we're not going to tolerate this anymore. You know, like I don't, I'm a grown up. <laughs> I have my <laughs> family now. I served in wars. I have businesses. I don't need someone to tell me how to live my life. In fact, I'm at the stage of life where I should be mentoring the next generation and being like, look, you can see where I'm at. If you like it, come and join. If not, no big deal. Choose your own path. But I want you to at least have the opportunity, you know, and um, uh, I'm hopeful that what we're going to see is a wave of what I'm going to call true patriots mm -hmm. that start stepping up and start saying, you know what, we are going to make the Republican Party change its priorities from party first to country first. And, you know, love them or hate them. When Trump said, make America great again, I love that he didn't say make America Republican again. Yeah. He said make America great again, period, full stop. It has to be about the country. So I think that we're going to see that influx. I think that we're going to see more and more younger people coming in. Um, I can tell you that when I got elected chair and I went to NCGOP, um, I believe it was 53. It might have been more than 53 county chairs were brand new first time county chairs ever. And I can tell you from talking to a lot of them, there's a lot that have been like, man, I am done with this. Like, I'm trying to help. I'm trying to do the right thing. And my own party stabbing me in the back. Um, and it's happened to me, too, which is why I've created my my uh, verbiage for how I articulate my uh, circles of, of people that are in the safe zone versus uh, people outside. But we can get to that another time. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> understand. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I see especially you know 2016 Trump definitely changed the base of the Republican party uh, like you said love him or hate him he changed uh, the 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 go along the get along uh grand old party it's mm -hmm. it's not the same anymore and honestly it's a good thing i do see it turning younger i see it turning i see a lot more minorities joining uh the Republican party because they are tired they're tired of losing um, like, like Trump said, uh, you're going to get sick of winning. And, um, you know, those four years were pretty good. Um, yeah. Yeah, those four years were pretty good, especially with the yeah. last, you know, two years. Uh, so yeah, I, I completely agree that I, I think, you know, the, the Republican party, it needs it. It needs a kick in the pants, um, uh, to get away from, you know, the go along to get along compromise. We're going to, I feel like Republicans always play defense, you know, Democrats push, 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 push. And if we hold them to, you know, a field goal, we're happy. Um, no, we need to score. Yeah. I, I would, the, the word that comes to mind that I feel like best encaps, encapsulates what I believe the situation is, is a spirit of fear. Mm-hmm. There's a Absolutely. fear that has come across this nation. Um, and, and I believe that for the most part, this can be tied to the fact that we've destroyed the idea of true masculinity. 
um, we've destroyed the idea of having ferocious men that have self-control and that operate within the confines of our agreed upon social and moral constructs as a society. Um, what we've done is we've, we've created a society where we have um, feminized our boys. We've made them, we've made them completely incapable of standing up for themselves. And so I believe that the fallout from that is as an example, black lives matter and Antifa and the riots that happened, right? To me, when I see a response of, oh, well, you know, what do we need to do to basically make it go away? I'm like, you are a coward. Mm -hmm. Your job is to protect the people, the innocent people, citizens of this country. And when people want to get riled up like that, the only response is to say, you're going to get a bullet to the face. Those are your options. You back down or you get a bullet to the face. And the fact that we're not saying that, the fact that, that people that do say that are vilified, Mm -hmm. is mind-boggling. We, we vilify what is correct and we then praise what is wrong. You know, violence is good in the right context only. You know, I, I just had this conversation with my brother uh, today. There's that saying, the pen is mightier than the sword. And, and a lot of my buddies in the special operations community, we would talk about this a lot. And pretty much we would say, you know what? Whoever says the pen is mightier than the sword clearly never knew how to use a sword. Go <laughs> ahead and show me a single country that was founded with a pen and not a sword. I, yeah. I would I would genuinely like to know, because as far as I'm aware, every single major civilization that we know of started off with a military conquest of someone saying, we need to own this. And then eventually it turned into, hey, maybe we should find a better way than killing each other. And then you go to the pen. But, you know, violence is something that I believe it was uh, has been totally twisted because our country was founded based off of men saying, I'm willing to risk death by hanging um, for my freedom and mm -hmm. for the freedom of my neighbors. And they were willing to go to extremely violent means in order to defend that freedom and that choice that they made. Um, so again, I, like we have to start defining terms. We have to start um, being clear and drawing battle lines, I believe, because I, I think that's one of the biggest issues is when you live and and uh, operate out of fear, you're scared of putting lines down because you're scared of the the retribution. You're scared of, you know, someone else's opinion and fallout. But um, to quote the late, great Rush Limbaugh, who cares about being part of the group? It's never made sense to him. And honestly, it never made sense to me either. So completely agree. Uh, and like you said, our founding fathers, they were really willing to take that risk to lose their life, everything they had, their 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 families, all their wealth for honestly a lot less than what's going on now. Honestly, their grievance is kind of petty compared to <laughs> compared to what's going on these days. I can't uh, even imagine what they would say if they saw politicians trying to advocate the actual mutilation of children's genitals. They would be stacking I, I bodies. They would be stacking bodies by now. I, I, I can't help but say yes. Like that's the only thing that makes sense based on how they behaved and what they did in the past. Um, and, you know, if I could just take a minute because I was talking mm -hmm. about defining things. Um, there's a term enemy domestic that I've been using a lot um, derived from the, uh, the oath of office that we took in the military to protect and uh, defend the Constitution against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. And I've talked with senators, I've talked with congressmen, 
talked with attorneys and I've said, what is the definition of enemy domestic? I've not gotten an answer from anyone. So here's my definition because I feel like it needs to be defined. Um, the way I look at it is I have three spheres or circles of, of society. The first is my inner circle, right? That's pretty much my family, my closest friends, mm-hmm. um, people that have probably 90% of the same beliefs as me. Um, differences with obviously a lot, but our core beliefs are pretty much locked on. Um, and I don't project those values or those beliefs on anyone outside of that particular circle. Then I have my social circle. My social circle comprises everybody that believes fundamentally that there's such a thing as objective truth. It's not what I think. It's not what you think. There is something that is actually true though. And if you believe that, then let's work on this together. Let's try and figure it out. And I want to hear your opinion, even if you vehemently disagree, because we're not enemies. We're both seeking what the truth is. Then for the people that fall outside of that category is my national circle. And my national circle is really, really basic. You only have to believe one thing, and that is that America is fundamentally good. Mm -hmm. If you do not believe America is fundamentally good and you do not believe in objective truth, you are an enemy domestic. So when I hear a politician say things like, we have to change this country because it was founded on evil, that's an enemy domestic. And when I hear our people, Republicans, saying things like, oh, those are my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, that is not your colleague. No, that's not that is an enemy domestic. That is a traitor, Um, which, interestingly enough, you know, the um, treason is the only crime expressly defined in the Constitution. Yep. With the only with a defined penalty. Yeah. And, And two very specific conditions with which you can convict someone of treason. The first is they must admit it in public proceedings. Um, or in a public hearing. The second is that you have, I believe it's two eyewitnesses to the account, um, to what happened. So explain to me how you can have Republicans that have been sitting up in Washington, D.C. for 20, 30, 40 years, and then you can have someone like a Dianne Feinstein who has a Chinese spy and you can't find evidence of that. You're either blind or you're willfully negligent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Or, or uh, you, you know, the Eric Swalwell situation, you know, same, oh. same situation. Yeah. And yeah, and he's one of the loudest when it comes to, you know, Trump is a Trump has committed treason. It's like, you know, maybe those in glass houses. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so going back to, to Harnett County um, yeah. with our candidates, uh, we've got candidates running for for. NC House, we've got candidates running for NC Senate, um, U.S. House, school board, everything. Um, so is there going to be any judges? That's right. Any opportunity to meet those candidates coming up in between now and the election and like QA, Q&A town hall situation or anything like that? So um, to be perfectly honest with you, I want to set up as much as is possible in that mm-hmm. regard. We do have a general membership meeting coming up in September. Um, I, I believe it's the 22nd, but harnet.nc.gop. That's our website. Everything is posted on there, harnet.nc.gop. Um, and uh, we're going to be sending out text message alerts to people to let them know to come out as well. Um, I am all for doing any type of setup. I want the the party to be as open as possible, and I want it to be done in the best manner possible. Mm-hmm. 
That said, I also have to be realistic. And being realistic, the truth of the matter is that we have a very small handful of people in Harnett County that are putting in the amount of hours and time that's required in order to make things work. Um, I mean, as an example, here we are, it's, uh, it's 9.37 at night. I've been up since five o'clock this morning on various calls uh, between my, running my own businesses, um, the election integrity work that I'm doing uh, with Insight, uh, you know, software programs that I'm working on. I have young children um, and I'm still here and I'm doing it. But um, when it comes to these meetings, the easiest thing that I've found is that I can put everyone in the room. And then from that point on, I, and I've told all of the precinct chairs this, I said, you guys are responsible for running your precincts. If you need something, you let me know and I'll get it to you. But I'm not here to tell you how to run your precinct. Now, some precinct chairs think that it's perfectly acceptable to have one meeting a year for their precinct. Mm -hmm. That's their prerogative. Respectfully, I disagree. I think that you cannot represent properly the multiple thousands of registered Republicans in your precinct unless you have regular meetings. Um, and again, it is that idea that I've been trying to propagate throughout the county to express that, look, this starts with we the people, which means it starts at the precincts. As local as possible. Because, again, I mean, I would love to have an open forum conversation just on my own time with the whole county. And be like, guys, let's just talk about the issues and come up with some solutions and stuff. But, again, what happens in those situations? You have three or four very vocal people that oftentimes don't want to adhere to, you know, a two-minute time limit. Mm -hmm. and, um, and the next thing you know, the conversation goes way off track. And so uh, it, it is my belief that that is an ineffective way of dealing with politics. I believe that the most effective way to deal with politics is to say you start from the ground up. So you have those conversations and everything at your precinct, and then your precinct chair and your precinct leadership are the ones that then convey that message to the county and say, this is the will of the people. Mm -hmm. um, and again, going back to when I first took over as chairman, I, I told all of the precinct chairs, I said, you guys got to have meetings so that I know this is my way of validating that when you tell me this is what my precinct wants, that it wasn't just your three friends. I need to know that you're actually having meetings and opening it up to everybody to come. Otherwise, you're just representing yourself. You know, and, and as a leader, trust but verify. Right. Right. <laughs> so. Um, but again, you know, uh, we've got some precincts that have been extremely active and I couldn't be more proud of them. Um, Northwest precinct to be specific, Ricky Temple, um, that man, uh, you know, there, I, I believe that wisdom is when you can take knowledge and apply it properly over time to achieve correct results. When I look at someone like Ricky, I don't care about his education. I don't care about any of the things that he does or how he talks. That is one of the wisest men in this county, hands down, bar none. Um, so couldn't be more proud of what they're doing. Um, barbecue Precinct has been getting active. North, um, sorry, uh, 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 Black River Precinct with Keith Wagler. They've been starting mm -hmm. to get really active. That's been phenomenal seeing Keith take over there. Um, uh, obviously, Anderson Creek, of course. <laughs> uh, that's my precinct. Yeah, uh, We have people that are pretty active over here. Uh, Johnsonville. Uh, precinct and um, uh, there's been a couple others that have that have done some smaller things but again you know uh, a big portion of this and, and I want to make sure people understand like I'm not trying to cast stones because there's a way that things have always been done and I'm coming in and I'm saying hey things have got to change and I think that some folks are looking at that and they're scared of the change 
and they're scared of not having control of their system and the way that they do it. And I understand that. And I don't have any animosity towards people that feel that way. And I think that there's a level of contention as well of, well, you know, I want it to be all my stuff or I don't want you to get credit for something or whatever happy, whatever the reason is. Um, but again, that's why for me, I, I wanted to explain that whole concept of enemy domestic, because as far as I'm concerned, if you fall within that national circle or the social circle, which are pretty broad circles of yeah. people, you know, like I'm not putting any of my personal views in any of that. Um, but if you fall into that circle and you're seeing someone that's putting in 18 hours a day that does have a family that's not retired, that's putting in a fortune into creating software systems to help our elections be better. And I did that on my own prerogative. No one gave me money to do that. I did it on my own. And then people started being like, oh, uh, are you getting paid for this? And I was like, no. Um, <laughs> and, and slowly there's been little bits of things coming in. Um, you know, but the bottom line is there, there's changes and people are going to have to start putting in the work. And I get that it's scary and I get that it's different, but it has to happen. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. You know, we are in a county that our commissioners are allowing brand new developments to the tunes of, you know, at minimum hundreds of families to be able to move in. We're already, I believe it's 10 schools behind what we need in this county. And our roads aren't big enough to be able to handle the traffic that we currently have. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like it or not, the demographics of Harnett County are changing. This is becoming a more urban environment. It is not just the rural farm town anymore. No. And and I am uh, I am hoping that people will understand, especially the folks that are like from here that are locals. I don't want to lose the style of life that we have here in the South. I don't want to lose the country self uh, or I'm sorry, independent, self-sustaining person that needs to be preserved. We need to be projecting those values onto the people coming into here. But the way that we're doing it, we're not controlling the narrative. We're not controlling the flow We're, in my opinion, the mindset is we need help. And so whatever it takes to get other people in and other money in, that's what we need to do. And again, respectfully, I disagree. I think that we have more talent in Harnett County than people have a clue of. I think that most of us are just people don't want to get involved with politics because they see the backstabbing. They mm -hmm. see the, they see the, the whisper campaigns that go on behind the scenes. You know, I mean, I had a whisper campaign against me to try and get me ousted as chairman. Because I use the F word because I'm listening to a bunch of grownups yelling at each other like children. So, again, sorry, not sorry. I wish that you would get equally as upset about, you know, I don't know, abortion or uh, mutilating children that are, you know, 12, 13 years old and, and performing life altering surgeries on them. But, you know, if foul language is the thing that really turns you off, then I'm telling you right now, I ain't the person for you. Yeah, I, you're right. It's funny when, um, you know, the the people get they get mad about, you know, an F word. But, uh, yeah, they want to compromise on abortion or gun rights or school choice. Yeah. Transgenderism, you know, what we're doing to kids. 
mutilating them and pumping them for full of hormones that don't belong in their body. Uh, that's okay. We can compromise on that. You know, let people live what it was, but don't, don't, uh, don't, don't go throw around. What is that song in country music? We don't use the F word. Right. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, artist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Jesse, is there anything else that you want people to know um, going into the next couple of months? What I'm hearing is, number one, we need to get more people involved, whether it's going to the um, the training to be a poll observer, right? Or, um, and we need to get more people involved in their local precinct. What else? What else? And, and list that website one more time, too. Sure. Uh, so the website is harnet.nc.gop harnet.nc.gop. We also have a YouTube channel. If you go onto YouTube and you type in HCGOP, um, the channel will pop up and, and we've got a bunch of videos on there um, where I interviewed the um, the candidates during the primaries, at least all the ones that I could uh, yeah. schedule. Um, but yeah, poll observers, um, in my opinion, the reason that poll observers are so important is because if we don't have eyes on and we are not able to record what's happening in a manner that we can actually review. And when I say we, I don't mean a small team of people up at some national level, DC centered group. No, I mean, we at the county level, at committee level, or at an individual level have the ability to review what happened and follow through on those things. So I think poll observers um, probably are the most important thing at this particular point in time. Uh, we also need greeters that are going to be outside of each polling location. Um, we would like to have a tent outside of each polling location with all of our Republican candidates information. We want to be the face that, you know, that meets everyone and says, look, we're not some scary people. We're here because we don't want everyone telling you how to live your life. We <laughs> want you to be able to live your own life in freedom and in peace and go and pursue happiness, you know, in whatever manner you see fit, barring certain obvious uh, atrocities. Um, so uh, the greeters are another big thing. But, and then, and then, as you said, the, um, uh, the precincts, I think are probably the most important place to start. And the reason is because if you start at the precinct, you're going to very, very quickly end up in a rabbit hole down any direction of patriotism that you want to be involved in. You're going to end up meeting other patriots that are like, Hey, you know, you're into a convention of states. Oh, I know this guy. Come and talk to him, you know, or, oh, hey, you know, uh, abortion's your thing. Like, come and talk to this dude, you know, and, um, you know, or, or uh, taxes or, or election integrity or, you know, whatever it is, you're going to find someone. And it all starts at that precinct level. And that's where you can have the meaningful conversations. If you go to a big, you know, a big meeting thinking that you're going to solve the problems, I'm sorry, it's just. I don't see that happening. In fact, that's mm. where all the that's how the back deal doors happen is because it's the it's happening in the small meetings that they're making yeah. the decisions and then they're just executing at the big meeting. Yeah. So get involved at the precinct. Um, if you don't know who your precinct chair is, harnet.nc.gop. We have all the precinct chairs information up on there. Call them. Demand a meeting. But don't do it in a way where you're saying you hold a meeting, say, I will help you. Where do you want it to be? You call it. I'll show up and bring the supplies. I'll show up with water and, and donuts or whatever. Um, but the only other thing that I think is very important to express is the importance of our judges and the importance of our board of elections members. 
Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, uh, not 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 board of elections. I apologize. Board board of education. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the judges, uh, and again, I interviewed all of the ones that are um, that are currently on the ballot. We did an interview with, um, and that's on the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone can go check out. But our judges have to be able to have the intestinal fortitude to stand up for what's right based on the Constitution, not based on potential backlash. So the only way that I think they're going to be able to be empowered to do that is if all of us are getting together and we're getting to know them because our judges are usually the least talked about. In fact, um, yes. our current judges, when I asked them, like, hey, do you guys want to uh, you know, take the stage and everything? They're like, well, I don't really have any challengers and no one seems to really care. So. And I'm like, no, see, that's a problem. So get to know your judges. Um, And then the Board of Elections, of course. um, Right now we have uh, Abraham Durante that's going to be running. Um, He's the only one that I believe is running against a incumbent Democrat. So Mm -hmm. that's the reason I'm singling his particular seat out. Uh, But again, go and talk to him. Help him out. Uh, These guys can't win on their own. And I, I certainly think it is not fair to... Um, put all the blame and responsibility on our elected officials if we're not willing to get behind them and walk, you know, lockstep and, and ensure their success. Correct. And and you know you want to you want to know who you're voting for, whether whether you're going to vote for them or not. You need to know uh, Democrat and Republican. You need to know what these people are about. Absolutely. Um, so Jesse, uh, number one, I want to thank you. Um, we're 45 minutes in, and like you said, it's almost 10 o'clock at night. So I want to thank you for, for giving us your time tonight. Um, I know you're a busy man. So, so thank you very much for coming on today. And we're going to shoot this out to all the, uh, social medias and anywhere you can find a podcast, you'll be able to find this and, uh, just, you know, people get involved, get involved and, um, let's let's make a change in north carolina because Absolutely. yeah it's it's republican but it, we need more we need more patriots patriots that put yes. america first yeah yep absolutely and uh if we get that super majority hold them accountable absolutely we have to and matt i appreciate you and uh, everything that you're doing on the on the podcasting side with making sure the conservative message is getting pushed out there and staying relevant well, thank you, Jesse. And um, again, we'll we'll put out the links and everything. And uh, I just want to thank you. Uh, that was honestly, it was forty five minutes of straight fire. <laughs> so thank you. Awesome.